It is good to, uh, to be here and to, it's been a crazy summer. Anybody else feel like it's been a crazy summer? I, I feel like I got you beat. Um, but uh, so this summer, I was not planning on going on the all ladies mission trip for, for one main reason that I'm not a lady, but um, we had somebody cancel the night before. And so we decided who can leave and go for a week on a mission trip with, and already has a passport and can leave tomorrow. And we couldn't really think of very many people, so I was like, okay, I guess I'll make some phone calls and I'll go. So we left to go on a mission trip. We came back. We were home for less than, or for right about 24 hours. Then we left again to go on our family vacation. We were gone for about a week, came home for a couple days, and then we left again to go to a family reunion. So I've been from Mazlan, Mexico, the Pacific, all the way to Surfside right by Myrtle Beach on the Atlantic, and then we went to a family reunion in Paintsville, Kentucky. So I've been from Mazalan, from Pacific, to the Atlantic, to the holler. Anybody know what the holler is? The, the, the definition of the holler is down the valley a ways, okay? So I was yesterday um, in the holler, I guess. I don't know. So, but the crazy thing about it was I think I understood more Spanish than I did understand the holler talk. Uh, so... <laughs> It's been, it's been a long summer trying to understand what people are talking about, trying to understand what they're saying, trying to figure out what food I should eat. It's, it's been crazy, but, I, but I'm really glad to be back um, to sleep in my own bed. That's nice, after three weeks. Um, to be able to put the thermostat where I want it to be, um, which is about 69, 70 degrees, as opposed to, you know, 75. So it's, it's, it's really good to be back. But in the midst of all of that craziness of summer... I had momentary dyslexia. So one night, I go to bed, and I'm thinking through what I'm going to preach when I do this sermon. Um, and in my head, we're going through, we've been going through the whole story of the Bible. We did that, and now we're going to go through the wisdom literature. So Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And so I knew at one point I'm going to speak on Psalms. So when I speak on Psalms, what am I going to do? So I'm laying in bed, and I'm reading all through Scripture, reading through the Psalms. And, and I read Psalm 103, and I'm like, this is perfect. This is what we should, what we should do when I preach um, on Psalms. We should do Psalm 103. Well, then I went to bed, and I woke up that next morning, and I said, last night I knew for sure that we're supposed to preach on Psalm 130. So I, I just I got it confused, one, 103 to 130. So I wake up in the morning and get my cup of coffee, go sit out on the deck, and I'm, I'm reading, studying, getting everything ready, and I feel like this is going to be perfect. And I get done studying Psalm 103, or excuse me, 130, and I'm like, wait a second. I'm in the wrong psalm. It, said, it doesn't say anything that it said last night, so I don't, I don't know what happened, you know? So in any case, both of them would have been perfect to preach today, but today we're going to do Psalm 130, partly because of my momentary dyslexia. So if you have a Bible you want to flip open to Psalm 130, that's where we're going to be. And let me tell you, quick, quick background, psalms, they were kind of like written as songs, right? We talked about that the past couple times, once when Rusty talked um, and once when... You did Proverbs. So once when Kevin talked last week on Psalm 139. So, but they're kind of songs written to God, right? So um, Psalm 130, you know, many of the psalms it looks like David wrote. But this particular psalm, there's kind of uncertainty. Did David write it? Did Nehemiah write it? Did Ezra write it? Who, who wrote this? And, and we don't know 100%, but I think there's good evidence that it could be from David. And we, for today, are going to assume that it was written by David. 
We also don't know when it was written. So part of the message today, we're going to explore the, the possibilities of different times when he could have written it, if that makes sense. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, and if you, again, want to flip open in your Bible, Psalm 130, we'll go ahead and read it. <clears throat> Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. God, I pray that as we talk through this psalm, that it will not just be something written thousands of years ago, but this will be something that is written even for today. So God, I pray that you will open up what you have meant for us in this psalm and that you will penetrate our hearts, that you will teach us, that you will rebuke us, you will correct us, and you will train us in righteousness. God, again, I thank you for your word and pray that you would use mine to speak yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think that we can kind of almost break the sermon today into four parts. This will help you know how long I'm going to go. It's going to take a while. I haven't preached in a while. So we're going to do four parts. I really won't go that long, but four parts. First, it seems like David's kind of sharing his testimony. He's kind of sharing something that has been going on in his life. He shares his testimony, and then he kind of gives his response. And then I think he kind of gives a challenge to others. And then we're going to wrap it up with kind of the how-to, okay? So... Let's jump right in. So David's testimony. So David starts off and he says, out of the depths I cry to you. But most of us, when we think of David, we think of David and Goliath, right? We think of this awesome moment where he, he he's, uh, gets his, um, what's the word, slingshot ready, right? And he hits Goliath, knocks him down, kills him. And it's like we think of this awesome moment because he protects the whole, the whole nation of Israel, right? But can you imagine taking someone's life? Even if they're coming after your family, if someone breaks into your home, comes after your entire family, and you did something to kill them, there would be some depths there, I think, that you'd have to navigate through. In fact, I know a guy who, who he was um, driving a, um, a snowplow, and a car came in front of him, and he didn't have enough time. He, he hit the car, and it killed the lady in front of the car, and the car in front of him, and he he was a mess. He, there was depths involved in that. And I think what David is saying is, listen, I have experienced the depths. And when we think about David and Goliath, okay, there was some depths there. But when you continue to go through David's life, you, you find out that he marries um, and his father-in-law is a guy by the name of Saul, who's the king. And eventually this king gets jealous of David because all the people like David because he killed Goliath, right? So what's he do? He comes after him and he's seeking to kill him. I've never had anybody come after me to kill me that I know of. Um, 
But can you imagine being in constant hiding and in fear that maybe even somebody involved in your close sphere is coming after you to kill you? I think any of us have had times where people have said something bad about us, and, and we've felt some depths because of that. But, but David has someone coming to truly destroy him. And he's saying, I think, in this first part, I've experienced the depths. His best friend was a guy by the name of Jonathan who was his brother-in-law, and his brother-in-law, Jonathan, is killed in battle. David, I think, is starting this, this psalm off saying, look, I've, I've been in the depths. My best friend has died. My father-in-law has sought to kill me. You continue to go on through David's life, and he has the affair with Bathsheba, right? And then he decides, well, I need to cover this up. And so he sends um, the woman's husband to the front lines where he's killed. So David realizes he's got blood on his hands. Can you imagine the depths that could come from that? They have the baby, and the baby dies. I don't know how many people in here who maybe had a miscarriage, but there's depths that come with that. So David, I think, is saying, I've been in the depths. You look through the rest of David's life, and one of his sons rapes one of his daughters. I know a guy who has, a two, has multiple kids, but his son molested his daughter. Can you imagine the depths? I think David is saying, listen, I have been in the depths. I have been in deep, deep darkness, in deep despair. You continue to look through his life, and the son that raped the daughter gets murdered by another son, one of his sons. Can you imagine the depths if one of your kids killed another one of your kids? David has been in the depths. That son decides to try to take over the kingdom, and he leads this rebellion to try to take his dad out. So his dad, so David, again, has to go into hiding, and again, he's in that fear of someone seeking to kill him. David has been in severe depths, depths that most of us in this room will probably absolutely never experience, probably even one or two of these, and he has multiple of these. And his son, who's leading the rebellion, along with 20,000 people, are killed in a battle to stop this rebellion. Can you imagine being David? You have now lost uh, multiple kids. One of your kids has raped one of your daughters. There's been a rebellion after you. You've been living in hiding for years. I think what David is, is, is sharing his testimony is he's saying, I have been in the depths the likes of which most people will never imagine. And this is where he's been at. I think if, he could, if David could, could speak what, to us today, I think what he would say is, like I said, I have been in the depths that few people can even imagine. It reminds me of Psalm 69. Psalm 69, verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink Deep in mire, where there is no foothold, I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. I think what we can see in David's life is that he's been in this depths of despair, but his despair has been to the point that even him crying out like his voice is hoarse. His voice is now gone from crying out to God. He has sat before the light, the Lord, crying so much that all of his tears are gone. And I think the waters of life feel like they've rushed over him. He's just, he's done. 
And I think that David is sharing his testimony to the, to the point where he's saying, like, I have been in the depths, the likes of which most people will never imagine. And then it says this in verse, um, verse 2. He cries out to the Lord and he says, oh, Lord, hear my voice. He cries out and he's not asking for God to change the circumstances. He's not even asking God to, to help him have peace with the circumstances. He's praying and he's asking God. He's saying, God, please just let me know that you hear my voice. I think that what's crazy about this is, is David is, is talking much more about a relationship with God than about his personal circumstances. He cares much more about his relationship with the Lord than he does about his circumstances. And I think what David would say is, look, when I was in the depths, what I did is I cried out to God just asking that he would listen to me. He doesn't say that asking that he would fix the problem, that he, would, that he would do something. He just says, I just want to know that God will listen to me. And it goes on, he says, um, he says, oh, um, he says, excuse me, he says, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So he's asking for two things. He's praying, he's in the depths and he's praying. He says, God, I, I want to ask you for two things. Number one, will you please listen to me? And number two, he asks for mercy. But if you think about why is he asking for mercy? So, and I think that kind of brings up a second question is what is mercy? I've heard it described this way that grace and mercy are often confused by each other. Grace is, is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So to put it this way, let's say I told my kids, hey, if you guys get A's in school, I will give you $100 cash. Just boom. You guys like that? Michael, would you like that? You get A's, you get $100? That'd be pretty sweet, right? You get all A's, you get 100 bucks. If you get anything other than all A's, you get no TV for the rest of the school year. Can you imagine that? Okay, so, so grace would be my kid gets all B's, and I say, you know what? You don't actually deserve this, but I'm going to give you the $100 anyway. That's grace. But mercy is, hey, I told you if you get anything other than straight A's, you're grounded from TV for the rest of the school year. Mercy is not giving him what he deserves, which is that you don't get TV. And I think that we confuse those two, grace and mercy, but he's calling out, he's saying, God, please give me mercies. So what he's saying is this. He's saying, God, I deserve some of these things that have happened in my life. And it's like, I think you and I, when we look at things that are hard in our lives, how we don't deserve this. We deserve to have this perfect life where the boat is never rocked, but, but David is looking at his life saying, I deserve some of this. And I think it reminded me of this. So there was several years ago when I got a ticket, I wouldn't get a ticket now because I drive perfect. Right, Mom? Um, so I'm, I'm driving, I get a ticket, right? I'm speeding. That's the only thing I've ever gotten tickets for is speeding, okay? But I'm speeding, and now I was going over the speed limit. But the spot where, this, where, where I saw the speed limit sign, where the speed limit sign was, where I turned in, so I didn't know what the speed limit is, right? So I'm going like 35, and I'm in a 25, but I didn't know that I was technically in a 25, so my justification was I didn't know, so I'm not guilty. So for like the week afterward, I'm complaining like crazy. That stupid police officer, I can't believe he gave me a ticket for going 35. I didn't even know this feeling was 35. And I was going on and on and on and on. And eventually I felt like God just kind of went, and kind of slapped me. I don't know if anybody ever gets that from the Lord. where you just, I felt like I got that kind of double slap. And he said, Brian, you were guilty. 
right? You were guilty. And even if you weren't guilty of speeding, have you ever sped? And I was kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, only when I drive. So um, I'm working on that, kind of. So, um, but I think that there's a difference between guilt, um, specific guilt, and general guilt. Sometimes we feel like if we're not specifically guilty of this one crime, then we're innocent. But the thing is, there's a difference between specific guilt and general guilt. And guess what? All of us in this room have general guilt. All, none of us in this room are perfect. All of us have fallen in some way, shape, or form, probably even yelling at a family member on the way here this morning. Some of us sped on the way here this morning. So all of us have general guilt and, and, and very likely specific guilt. But what I feel like David is saying in this is, listen, I've been in the depths, but in the midst of these depths, you know what I realized? I realized that I have guilt. I think David says, you know what? I have killed people. David is saying, I haven't been a perfect parent. And not to say that my, parent or my, my kids' choices fall only on me, but I think what he's saying is, I haven't been a perfect parent, and my kids have made choices, and guess what? I deserve some of that guilt. And then he goes on and he says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I think what David is saying is, look, I'm in the depths. I cry out to God, God, please just hear me. And God, give me mercy because I am a sinner. And what happens is, is he, he, he sees and he experiences grace. Um, Psalm 130, verse 3 through 4 in the message I love this translation. It says, If you, God, kept a record on wrongdoings, who could stand a chance? And in this part, as it turns out, forgiveness is your habit. I think David is in the midst of this, these depths, the like of which none of us can really imagine. He cries out, God, hear me. He cries out, God, please give me forgiveness. And he finds a God whose habit is forgiveness. It's just this amazing thing. In the depths, he sees that. And it says, forgiveness is your habit. That is why you are worshipped. I think if David was here today sharing his testimony, he would say, I called out to the God in the midst of the depths, the like of which most people will never experience. And guess what? He listened. He showered me with grace, with mercy, and with forgiveness. How does he respond? So that's part one. We got th three more parts to go. Part one, he cries out. Part two, his response. This is what he says. He says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And if you really read this, um, the, the word wait is either there or um, should be there five different times in two verses. So I'm going to read it the way that it kind of is implied. It's implied that it says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, that's two. And in his word, I hope, my soul waits for the Lord, that's three. More than watchmen wait for the morning, that's three. More than watchmen wait for the morning, that's five. So he five times in two verses is talking about his waiting. And so I think what he's saying is this. I think what he's saying is, look, in the midst of this horrible depths, I've experienced grace and forgiveness, and therefore I will wait on the Lord. That, what that means is he's not trying to take it and put it in his own hands, trying to fix the situation. I don't know about you, but for me, when something's not going right, the first thing I do, try to fix it. 
the, as fast as I can, I try to fix it. And so, so when, when, when we're in the midst of the depths, we try our best to get out of the depths. We don't want to experience this pain. We don't want to experience this uncomfort. We don't want to experience that. And so we try our best to get out of that. And I think what David is saying what is, I, I, I called out to the Lord. I'm in the depths. But my response, because of God's grace and his forgiveness and his mercy, was to just wait on him. It wasn't taken into my own hands. My response was to wait on him. And then... What is waiting? I think um, we use our de- earthly def- or our English definition to try to figure out what this means. Well, the English definition of waiting is this: to stay where one is or delay action until a particular time or something happens. So I think what it's saying is like waiting means you just do nothing. But I don't think that's what the Bible means when it says waiting on the Lord. And so I was like, I, I don't think that could be it. I don't think it's that I should just try to fix the problem. I don't think that means I should just sit and do nothing. And just like, okay, God, I've got to fix something. So then I started looking up this, the Hebrew word here, it means, though um, it's translated waiting, means to bind together by twisting or being joined together. And I think what, what David is, 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 is saying is my response was to be bound together with God. My response is to be twisted together with him. My response is to be so joined together with him that I trust him. And for most of us, we either go into, let me fix the problem, or let me just do nothing. But I think what David's saying, his response is, is to become so close and so interconnected with God. And that's what waiting is. It's not doing nothing. It's not fixing the problem. It's being bound together with God. It means that we bound ourselves to him by trusting him, by trusting his ways, by trusting his power, by trusting his word. But most of us, when we're experiencing any type of depths, we don't do that. I don't do that. But I think what his his testimony is, is in the depths, I bound myself to the Lord. And I think his challenge is this. His challenge, I think you can find starting in verse 7. He says, oh, Israel. So he's changed him talking between like him and the Lord. Now he says, oh, Israel. So now he's like, he's challenging all of Israel. He's saying, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. I think what he's challenging them with is put your hope and your trust in the Lord. And here's the deal. You cannot wait unless you trust. How well you wait is a direct sign of how much you trust. So if you have a waiting problem, you actually have a trusting problem. If you have a waiting problem, you probably have an idle problem. But all throughout the Word, we have these, these, these challenges to wait, and, and to, whether it's to wait and to have sex till you're married, to wait and, um, to have kids, and, and then, you, then you try to have kids, but it's not happening quick enough, and you have to wait. And then there's all of these times, like, I really want a new car, but maybe I should wait until I can pay cash for it. I, I want to buy a house, and so I just go get a loan. Like, all of us struggle with waiting. Maybe it's, there's a new toy that I really want. My, um, I won't say which one, one of my kids, who might be the youngest, one of my kids, the second he gets a dollar in his pocket, it is burning a hole right through it. <laughs> yeah. 
It doesn't change when you get older. You just got more money to burn, right? Or in theory. But we don't like to wait. And why don't we like to wait? I think the reason why we don't like to wait is because we want instant gratification. We don't want to wait because remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 when we did the whole story of the Bible, the enemy comes to Eve and he says, you will be like God. Do you know why you and I don't want to wait? Because we want to be God. We don't want to wait because we want to have instant gratification. We want what we want and we want to be God. But I think that his testimony here, his challenges here, is to hope in the Lord. Put your trust in the Lord. Don't run to him for your circumstances to be fixed, but run to him because you need to be fixed. I think that's what David's challenge is. His challenge in the midst of the depths. And here's the deal. All of us in this room, we've experienced depths. All of us in this room are experiencing some aspect of depths even right now. And they may, be, they may be what feel like relatively simple things, or they may be things that seem huge, but all of us in some way, shape, or form are going through depths. And I got a note card here if I can find it that has things that I was thinking through of depths. All of us in this room have some aspect of depths, and some of us could be struggling with anxiety. What's my future going to look like? Is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? What happens if, if the, the roof gets a leak? How are we going to pay for it? What happens if I get fired? What happens? And we, we can struggle. We can become in these depths with anxiety, or maybe we can become in the depths because of depression. Shame. Shame sends many people into the depths. Shame for what they've done. Shame for what they haven't done. Guilt. Guilt plummets people into the depths. Fear. Fear can plummet people into the depths. And all of this in this room are experiencing, even today, some aspect of depths. It may be like even Kevin talked about last week, this desire to be known. I knew a guy who said he truly, his, his, his biggest struggle is that he truly wants to be famous. And he says it's a constant battle. But it's, it's, a, it's his depths, right? The depths could be a job situation. We don't have a job. We want a job. We don't like our job. Any of those things can, can be these depths. And you might feel each of those throughout the whole day, you know? I need a better job. Well, no, thank God for this job. Nope, I hate this job. They don't pay enough, you know? Like, but all of us struggle with some aspect of depths. It could be money issues. It could be sickness. Um, it could even be our past. There could be people who are struggling with, it, with depths because abuse they've sustained. Because of, of a divorce. Because of how my parents parented me. Because um, of, of, of relationships that I had that I shouldn't have had. It can be, for some people, it's even you know, divorce or, 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 or an abortion that they get, got. But, but even in this room, people here are struggling with depths. People could be struggling with... Um, the struggle with sexuality. It's huge in our culture right now. And the thing is, is all of us in this room are experiencing some depths. And what is easy for us to do is to read David's depths and say, you know what? My depths don't even compare to those, so they're not that big of a deal. 
We can almost minimize them. But the thing is, is each of us in this room, we're currently experiencing some aspect of depths. And so what are we going to do with that? Are we going to try to fix the situation? Or are we going to wait on the Lord, meaning we're just going to sit and do nothing? Or are we going to bind ourselves to the Lord? And I think the challenge that, that David would be giving us is cry out to the Lord to be heard. Cry out for mercy and wait on him by binding yourself to him. I think he'd say, trust him. Trust the Lord. Put your hope in him. I, I, know, I know a woman who's divorced. And um, don't worry, she doesn't go here. But I, I know a woman who is divorced. And the second I see her, or my wife sees her, within three words, she's mentioning that she needs a man. Every time. I've, and she's been divorced for years. She has been plummeted into the depths. And her eyes are fixed on either, I got to go find a man. I got to tell everybody so that they can go find a man for me. Or they can just be, I just, I can't, life can't go on. It almost looks like life cannot go on until I find a man. And my, my hope for her, my hope for myself, if I was in, a, in any type of situation similar in the depths, that I would bind myself to the Lord. Sarah and I, um, we have three kids, but I ha- don't have any birth children. So our oldest, um, most of you probably know the story, but our oldest Sarah had um, when she was in high school, God really used that to totally change her. So I, I got to be dad to Dane starting when he was about four. We met when Dane was two, got married when he was four. I skipped all that potty training, skipped all the diapers, skipped the sleepless nights. I, I really recommend it. It's a great way to go. <laughs> and then we, had, we tried to have kids without getting too personal here. There was no use of protection for years. And she, she got pregnant in high school when she wasn't trying to, didn't want to, and it happened, right? So now we're trying. It's not working. And you have this choice. Do you try to take it into your own hands and try more often, which, sorry, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Or, I don't get red very often, but you might start seeing some red coming across here. It's just the sunburn. It's just the sunburn. Um, do you take it into your own hands? Sorry. Wow. Hang on just a second. Just a second. <laughs> do you take it into your own hands or do you just sit and do nothing? Guess what? If we sat and did nothing, it, nothing, nothing would have happened, right? Or do you bind yourself with the Lord? And we bound ourselves to the Lord. And I'm not saying this is what, what God would call everybody to do, but we bound ourselves to the Lord. And you know what we felt like God was saying is there are hundreds of kids they need to be adopted. And so we sought the Lord. We prayed. We bound, we're bound to the Lord. And God led us to adopt. And um, we got these two wonderful kids. Um, but in the midst of that, so we put our home study in. And they came back and they said, hey, um, are you guys willing to get rid of your dog? We had a, a, a chocolate lab at the time, and, and Shane was severely allergic to pets, so they thought. And they said, would you be willing to get rid of your dog? And we sat there, and we were like, I really love our dog, but you know what? It's a dog. Like, I'm not, like, I'm, don't, like, if you're a dog person, don't start throwing stuff at me. 
At least it's not a cat. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but it's, it's a dog. And, but then there's these two kids. Um, and we thought, we prayed. We're like, you know what? Let's ask if we could just at least put the dog in the basement and see. But if, if it comes to it, we would get rid of the dog for these two children. And luckily, we didn't have to. The allergies were fine. It was no big deal. Tristan being scared of the dog was a bigger problem than Shane's allergies. But she, she's an overcomer, and she got over that. And now she loves dogs. But, but um, when we put our home study in, we had to wait for months, months to find out, could we adopt these kids? We put our home study in in, like, November, October, and we didn't find out until it was, East, it was just before Easter, but Easter that year was a little bit late, so it was April. And so we had these months of just waiting. Will, they, will these kids be our kids? We don't know. And again, we could have tried to put it in our own hands and start calling the caseworker every day. So what's going on? You got any new news? You could have, we could have been doing that, trying our best to put it in our own hands. We could have sat back and just done nothing. But what I hope that we did, I think that we did, is we bound ourselves to the Lord. And it feels weird to think that we were in the depths in that moment, but we were. Our life felt like we didn't know, we couldn't make a plan for tomorrow because we didn't know. Well, will the kids come? Like, what, what should we do with this room? And then we get phone calls of, hey, there's these kids that need to be fostered. Are you willing to foster them? And we, we wanted to open our home. We wanted to, to be open to whatever. But each time I felt like we, we'd go back to the Lord and we'd pray and we felt like he would lead us. No, no, you need to wait. You need to wait. You need to wait. And I can tell you this. I hate waiting. I hate it. If I'm hungry, I hate to wait to eat. I just hate to wait. But the thing is, is this. Waiting is such an awesome, awesome thing because it tries our faith. Waiting makes us exercise patience. Ugh. I hate that. And waiting trains our submission. So I'll say it again. How well you wait points to how well you trust. If you have a waiting problem, you got a trust problem. If you have a waiting problem, you might have an idol problem. But I think what David is saying in this is, listen, I've been in the depths, the like of which none of you probably will ever understand. I cried out to God. I experienced grace, and I experienced mercy. I experienced a God of forgiveness that is his habit. And I was willing to wait on the Lord, and I bound myself to him. Did it get easier? Not necessarily. Did it get harder? Maybe. But God was right there with him through it. Um, I started thinking about this and the, the how-to. We're going to move to that fourth part, the how-to. How, um, how do you wait on the Lord? There's this part of us like, well, you just wait. You just, you just wait. You just bind yourself to him. It's just easy. You just try harder. But the thing that I've found with waiting is you can't just try harder and get better at waiting. It's not like the more times you have to be patient, you just become more patient. It's like that whole thing of people say, like, don't pray for patience because God will make you wait to have the patience, you know? Like, so th the thing about this is you can't just try harder. So how do we become people who can wait? And I think, I was thinking about it today. It could be because I'm excited to get back home. We're finally home and I can go sit by the pool today. Um, but I was thinking about the pool. 
And I started thinking, like, when you're a little kid, you can't swim in the depths until you've been through the shallow end. And maybe all of us in this room, we're in some aspect of the depths. Maybe it's really not that big of a deal, but it feels like depths. Maybe we're just in the shallow end, but you can't trust the Lord enough to be in the depths until you've trusted him in the shallow end. And so for all of us in this room, it may just be, we just need to just start trusting him. And I started thinking that all of us who, are, who, are, who have bowed our knee and become a Christian, right, we're trusting God to give us eternal life, okay? So when we die on this earth, we are trusting that we will be with him in glory and in splendor forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. We trust him for that, right? But we don't trust him with today, how can we trust him with a future that we can't even imagine if we can't trust him for today? How can we trust him with eternity if we can't trust him with our future, with our tomorrow? But you know what's even this one's this one's the hardest one, I think. How can we trust him for eternal life if we can't trust him that the crap that we've gone through in our life, that he had a purpose for it? How can we trust him for eternal life if we can't trust him with our past? And that one's hard. But there's a verse that I love that says, what the enemy meant for harm, God meant for good. So how do you become someone who becomes someone who waits on the Lord? Number one, you bind yourself to the Lord, but, but that, that may just be that you get into the shallow end. I have all sorts of notes, but I'm going longer than I want to, so I'm going to kind of start to try to wrap this up. When I was a kid, I couldn't swim real well, and my mom was with me at the pool, and um, I was jumping into the pool, right? I'm jumping, and she'd kind of push me back so I could kind of barely swim, swim over the ledge, jump out, and jump back in, and she'd catch me each time I needed to be caught, right? Sometimes she'd let me go under just because I was a bad kid, and then she'd pull me back up, and um, but... One of the times when I jumped in, I didn't mean to, but I kicked my mom in the chest really hard. And I don't know if she had to go to the hospital or just doctors or what, but, but she had pain for years. But she was willing to kind of, I don't know if, if I just was jumping into her, if she kind of jumped into the way, but she took the blow. And I'm sure she was mad at me in some ways, but I think that she would have done it again to prevent me from drowning. If it was my brother, probably not. But me, I think so. Just... <laughs> but she, she took the blow, right? And, and, the, and the reason that she took the blow was because of her love for me. I jumped in the shallow end, and I was saved by my mom. And that would have prepared me for down the road when, when I, you had to jump off the high dive, and you had to be able to swim over to the ladder to prove like that you know, you could do it before you were allowed to just jump off the high dive, right? And so then when the next time when I'm jumping off the high dive, my mom wisely got way back far, but she was close enough she could come get me. And I was then able to swim in the deep end. And I think it's the same thing with us putting our hope in the Lord, putting our trust in the Lord with us being people who are willing and able to wait is if we begin to trust him in the shallow end, that will prepare us to be able to trust him in the depths. And the reason why David can say, I trusted him in the depths and I found him to be gracious, merciful, I found him to be a God whose habit is forgiveness is because he saw him in the shallow end and it led him into the deep end. 
How do you, how do I become people who are able to trust the Lord in the depths is if we begin to trust him in the, in the, in the shallow end. Maybe today you've, you've already in your life bowed your knee and you've, you've given your life to the Lord and you trust him for eternity. In a way, I think that's easier to trust him with your eternal life than to trust him with today. I, I, think, it's, I think in a way it's easier. I think it's easier to trust him with your eternal life than it is to trust him with your tomorrow. And I definitely think it's, it's, it's easier to trust him with, for your eternal life than to trust that all that crap that has happened in your life prior to now, that God had a purpose for it. So my prayer is that the testimony of David challenges and encourages all of us. That when he was in the depths, he cried out to God. And he bound himself to the Lord. And my hope and my prayer is that we would hear that testimony and that we too would feel that challenge to trust the Lord, to wait on him. And my prayer is um, that we would be able to figure out how to do that, which is to start in the shallow end and begin to trust him today, even with the smallest of things. Let's pray. God, um, in the same way that my mom jumped in front of me and rescued me from the, from the shallow end, and I could trust her to, to do that in the deep end, God, I thank you for Jesus who wants to catch us. God, I thank you that Jesus died on the cross so that we could have life, that he figuratively jumped in the pool to save us. And that God, as David realized that he was guilty, God, I, he cried out for mercy. God, I, I thank you that it was Jesus who, who didn't cry out asking for his own mercy, but he cried out to God, be merciful, for they do not know what they do. That it was Jesus who cried out for our sin. He cried out to his Father to be merciful on us. It, he, we cry out because we are in need of mercy. He cried out because he is merciful. We cried out in our guilt, but God, I thank you that it is Jesus who cried out in his innocence. And God, I thank you that, that you seem to work in ways that are um, past when we want you to. You let things happen. You let things go. You, you, you kind of, it seems like you want it to be known that there was no other way other than through what you did. And God, I, um, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection is no different than that. But God, I pray that we would be people because of the death on the cross, because of Jesus, that that would be the way that we learn to trust you more. That we would see that you loved us, you died for us, and you are worthy of our trust, you are worthy of our love, you are worthy of our adoration, and you have already provided grace and forgiveness and mercy, and therefore you deserve our trust. So God, help us to trust you. Help us to wait on you, even while we're in the depths. In Jesus' name, amen.